Good morning. So good to uh, see you all this morning, to be able to worship together this morning with you. Uh, I pray that, um, and thank you to the worship team and um, Pastor Matt, uh, as uh, you could pick up on, we're all battling a little bit. That cold air came quick this week and kind of messed with your sinuses a little bit like it did mine and his, but uh, so thankful um, for just their leadership and um, leading us to worship Jesus. Um, if you are, um, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 15. Um, and as you do that, let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you previously, would would love that opportunity. Um, and uh, if you're looking for some seats as you walk in, I do see a few uh, spaced out around the room. Uh, we'd love to help you find a seat. Uh, just uh, I, I'm probably not going to do that right now, but if you need a seat, some, they're, they're available. I can point that to you. Um, but I uh, would love to uh, just make sure that you're welcome here. Um, we are uh, studying the book of Acts. If you're uh, a guest, with us. We uh, make our way through books of the Bible. That's sort of our practice here at City Church, um, just believing wholeheartedly that the Word of God is what we need more than anything. And so we just try to progress. And we've been studying the book of Acts for some months now. And uh, we'll uh, pick up in the middle of Acts chapter 15 or near the end of Acts chapter 15 where we left off last week. Uh, to uh, bridge that gap, for those of you, if you haven't, uh, um, weren't with us last week and maybe to catch you up because there is a continuation, the book of of Acts is just a beautiful story of the history of the church and how God's church was started and established and reached the ends of the earth uh, so that we are here today um, can be able and are able to worship Jesus. And the fact that we are believers is a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit that we see at work in the early days of the church through the, uh, the book of Acts, uh, we being a continuation of that work. Um, some of you may be familiar with this. It really is not a significant piece, but we're a part of a church planning network called Acts 29 and the name of that story comes from, or the name of that network comes from the fact that there are 28 chapters in our Bibles, but the book of Acts is continuing. The same Holy Spirit that was at work establishing the church and building the church up is still at work today, and we are the result of that. We are the beneficiaries of this. We are the recipients of it, but we also are the ones who are called to take it forward, to continue what we are studying and what we see happening here. In uh, Prior to Acts chapter 15, uh, most of all of the work of the church as it was going out into the world, if there was opposition coming its way, that opposition came from external sources. Um, there were people who obviously were uh, attacking Christians and persecuting Christians and doing all sorts of things from sort of external standpoints, not believers. And as we came to Acts chapter 15 last week, we saw a little bit of the first internal struggle within the church. And the struggle came really around one of the most significant uh, truths and doctrines of our faith is, what does it mean? How is it possible that men and women, boys and girls are saved? How are we saved? How are we redeemed? How do we become people who are welcomed into the family of God? Well, the dispute came because there were now not just Jewish believers. Of course, Jesus was a Jew and the church started within the Jewish community. The gospel had gone out to the ends of the earth. And now there were Gentiles, not people who were part of the covenant people of God from the Old Testament, but now Gentiles, much like many of us, all people of all over the world were coming together, had come together, were being saved. And so a dispute came up because the Jewish believers Faithful believers, believers in Jesus, but still under their sort of upbringing and training, the, all that they had been raised in made them feel as if all converts to Christianity must be circumcised. And so a dispute was raised. Are we saved 
through the grace of Christ alone? Or must we also do some works? In this instance, what they were debating and the situation was the cultural significance of circumcision. Circumcision, uh, I know, is an uncomfortable word for some of us today, but in the time, it was essentially the symbol of God's people. It is what God established his people, said, you will circumcise, my people will be marked, and there will be a symbol that marks them as my people. Today in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, that symbol is baptism. And so we who are baptized in Christ, we say that that is the mark or the symbolic uh, work that we engage in to profess our faith in Christ, that we are a part of the family of God. But the reality is the truth and what they settled was, no, we are saved by grace alone. The moment that you add anything to that idea of grace, as well-intended, as spiritual as it might seem, as even God-honoring as it might seem, the moment you add anything to the grace of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, you diminish it and you ultimately destroy it. You say that you are saved now by fill in the blank, whatever that activity might be. Some of us have been raised in traditions and in situations, maybe your own life, you have wrestled with this idea that you could be saved solely upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you believe there, I I must do this or I must not do that. I have to have all of that work, that sort of our heart's proneness to want to add something or in order to do something in order to receive God's mercy or perhaps when we've been rebuked by God, when we felt conviction, we thought, okay, God is displeased with me because we need to understand it is we are saved by grace alone. Grace alone. It is Jesus' work for us. That's why we worship him, and that's why we need to be reminded of that. Well, that fact was settled at this, in, in Acts chapter 15. A council of the apostles and the elders, those who had walked with Jesus, came together at a time in history, and they said, yes, this is true. We are saved by grace alone. And they sent letters to the church in Antioch and to all of the Gentile churches. This truth was proclaimed and sort of distributed amongst them. And so as we pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we're going to see now Paul and Barnabas and Silas and these characters who have been at work ministering and proclaiming the gospel, we're going to see them sort of pick up the story as they continue now to go out and proclaim the word of God, to teach God's people, to instruct them. And so if you are able, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through 16, verse 10. Would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read? And after... Some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Saul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily." 
And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Traus, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over here to Macedonia to help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Lord Jesus, we once again thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place, and we thank you for your word, um, a word that you wrote to us, preserved for us through the hand of our brother Luke, so that we might be encouraged this morning. I pray that we would be encouraged as we consider broken men used by you, even in spite of their differences and the challenges that came before them, you continually accomplish your purposes for them and ultimately for us. I pray that we would be encouraged in our work, in the ministry that you have given to each and every one of us, both individually and corporately as a church body, would we be found faithful to the calling you've placed on our lives. We pray these things in Christ's mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled this message, Messy Men in the Hands of a Sovereign God, because what we're going to see here as we see these characters, Paul and Barnabas and those that followed, they are broken people. These are people who are not perfect, um, are, are not angelic. Uh, they are not Jesus himself. They are in some ways very much like us. Messy, broken men who are used by God to accomplish his great purposes. As we think about the men, we also can see the churches that they were called to plan and the work that they were doing here. Look at very first, uh, verse 36 again where I began. After some days, Paul says to Barnabas, Barnabas, his friend, by the way, his encourager, the one who without him, without Barnabas, there is no Paul, by the way. Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. If we skipped down to verse 41, you'd see the end there, strengthening the churches. And a little bit later, he talks about this strengthening of the churches in all of this text. There's this idea that Paul feels compelled to go back to where he had started. We've traced so far, we have traced Paul's first missionary journey. We have seen him plant churches. The first churches planted in the New Testament. We talk about 10 years ago, this church was started. Uh, some of you are around in those early days. We planted this church and our desire to plant more churches and all that. These are the first churches that were ever planted in the history of the world. They were started by Paul and Barnabas. And so they want to go back and they want to visit these churches to see how they are and to strengthen them, which in that alone gives us some instruction or helps us to understand the importance of remembering this calling that we are not called simply to proclaim the gospel. That is very much what we are called to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll emphasize that, I hope, very well. But we are called to make disciples Disciples is the ultimate calling, the responsibility for us as believers, those who have believed and received the grace of Christ. We are called then to go out and make disciples, to be disciples who make disciples, to multiply, to share the hope that we have with the world. Paul and Barnabas understood this, and ultimately Paul spurring Barnabas on says, we need to go back, we need to check on these churches. We have letters from Paul to these churches 
the letter to Galatians, the letter to Ephesus, the letter to the Colossians, uh, Corinthians. We have these letters. And these are letters that Paul wrote, some because he received word from others, but also because he went back and he visited them. And as he visited them, he saw, hey, I came here and gave you the gospel. I preached this word to you. And now as I've departed, they've kind of drifted away from that. Some, some false teaching might have crept into the church or some challenges have come into the church. And so he wants to ensure that he's encouraging the church, that he's strengthening the church through the means of discipleship. As we think about that in our own lives, first, very personally, one of the things that is, uh, we, we are sometimes tempted to do is to think about our walk with Jesus and think about the work that he's done in our life. And we think of that mostly in the past tense. I've shared many times in our church family the story of my conversion where I came to faith in Christ at the age of 17. Jesus interrupted my sinful desires and came and met me. And I put my faith in Jesus at that moment in time. But if all I ever did was just talk about that time when I was 17 years old, 30 plus years ago now, and I just kept calling back to that, that's what really my life is based on. But there was no there was no evidence, there was no continual work of growing in my faith. One, it would be a sad situation because I would still be a young man spiritually, not physically, but spiritually. But also, more than likely, you may be rightful in saying, where is there fruit? Is there evidence of God's grace in your life? Because all I ever hear you talk about is that one moment in time. We are called to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light, to proclaim the grace of Christ, that we are sinful people apart from Christ. We have no hope, but Christ entered in, went to the cross, laid down his life willingly for us. Three days later, rose up again, conquering sin and death once and for all. So you no longer have to strive your way to God. You don't have to try to pull yourself up to God. It is that God came to you in the person of Christ to redeem you, to save you you. We proclaim that. And if you don't know that, if you're curious about that, if you are not curious, if you're saying, I don't even really care why you say that, that, is, that message is for you today, brother and sister. Friend, you should know that that is the gospel. However, once we believe that, when we understand and we know that that is true, we know the grace that we have received in Christ. There is now a responsibility and a calling on our lives to mature and to grow and to be strengthened. And that is exactly what Paul, he wants to go back to these churches to strengthen them, to ensure that they're maturing, to see the challenges that have come their way and to apply the gospel to them. The gospel message is not just for us on the day of salvation. The gospel message is something that we need to apply to our lives, preach to our lives, remind ourselves of every single day. I'd ask you the question today, how is the gospel good news for you today? It is good news because I am saved. It is also good news because I am here to proclaim the good news of Christ and I have no ability to do that apart from Christ. That's good news for me today. It'll be good news for me tomorrow when I'm in conflict or have a challenge with my wife to apply the gospel to my life and to live that out. It's good news for me today as I try to care for my kids and shepherd them and now I don't really get to see them very often but just sort of when they call to say, yeah, I still love you and point them to Jesus and remind them that Jesus loves them. All of those things are these reminders. I need the gospel not just for myself, salvation, but it's good news every day of my life. And to meditate on that, to think on that, Paul wanted to ensure that the churches were being strengthened. We grow in our strength as we remember the gospel and we daily apply it to our lives. 
This is why here at City Church, if you're a guest, this will be a little bit of a foreign term. This is the emphasis that we have on fight clubs. Our church is a little bit messy sometimes because fight clubs are somewhat organic. There's not a lot of programming around this, but the idea is that two or three, four believers would just commit together. If you have a friend that's a Christian and you say right now, I don't even know what you're talking about about a fight club. I'm not a part of that right now. Here, let me just, I'm gonna give you the, the ability to be in a fight club. You have a friend who is a Christian in this community, and hopefully maybe you've met one in this church. I would invite you before the day ends to call them or to go find them across the service at the end as we sort of make our way out and say, could you and I meet together once a week and study God's word and remind each other of the gospel? You're in a fight club now. Good job, you did it, it's that simple. And maybe if you grabbed one more, now you've got three, you've got a little bit more of a, you know, little work there to do, more encouragement that can happen. And as you meet new friends, as you go to our, your men's Bible study or you attend some of the ladies' events and there's some new people that come into your life and you meet them and you realize they don't have anybody in this church family that knows them and that they're friends with, but I've really enjoyed, we've kind of had, we had a good coffee together, we ate lunch together, we had a meal. You just, hey, I've got a fight club, I've got these three people that I meet with, why don't you come and join us? Invite them in. And see what the Lord does as we are strengthened as disciples. We are growing in our faith. This is what Paul, this entire journey that he's about to embark upon is to go to the churches to ensure that that is happening. That they are growing in their discipleship. As we say the mission of this church, that they were growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus. That was Paul's aim. He wanted to see these churches strengthened. Well, as he wants to see these churches strengthened, he says that they should go back and, and, and check on them in verse 36. Well, in verse 37, his good buddy, his friend, the great encourager again in his life, Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark with us. Let's call him and have him join us. And through that, we see, yes, there's messy churches that need to be encouraged and strengthened, but we're going to see the messiness of their life. These missionaries, these great saints listed in Scripture, their testimonies and their lives on display for us, we're going to see them in great disagreement. Notice what it says. Barnabas wants to take John Mark, but Paul thought not best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Paul says, no, 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 that guy deserted us, he was weak, he didn't want to go with us when we were headed over to Pamphylia, he thought that was too hard, we don't really have any understanding biblically, there's not a true, uh, clear uh, understanding of exactly why John Mark did not want to go with them and why he departed from them, but we know that he did, and we know clearly here that Paul somewhat held it against him, Paul thought, no, 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 I don't want him to go with me, he's either going to slow me down, he's going to desert us again, he's not really committed to the work, whatever the things were, he wasn't interested in John Mark coming with them, well, Barnabas is very interested in his cousin, this is his cousin, by the way, John Mark going with them and there arose a sharp disagreement that word sharp there that sounds sharp I mean it kind of sounds a little bit uh strong but let me just tell you in the original language this is a violent passionate disagreement I'm not sure if Paul and Barnabas threw bows but they probably they were they were close all right they were about to throw down over this disagreement it was a violent passionate disagreement Paul says I'm not going with him and Barnabas says yes we are going with him and whatever happened, this boils up Again, we don't know exactly the heart of the disagreement. We don't know all of the why. But what we do know is you have two men here who are just like us. We think of Paul and Barnabas 
And we see them because they're in our Bibles as set apart. We sometimes, especially, I know I I revere Paul in a way that he gets real close to Jesus for me. He's not Jesus. He's not the Savior. But in terms of just his sort of the way he lived his life, the passion that he had, the, the zeal, his ability to preach. I mean, he's a hero, a rightful hero. But here, sometimes we can sort of elevate him to this hero status that says, oh, Paul could do that. That's for Paul to do, but it's not for me to do. What this tells us, I hope it reminds you, that Paul and Barnabas were men, just like me, men and women, just like you, used by God to do great and powerful things. Don't look at Paul and Barnabas as set apart. Sometimes within the confines of a local church, we can be tempted to think, well, this person or that person, maybe it's someone like me on a platform that speaks often, or maybe it's just someone in your, again, your Bible study. There's one of the leaders of your Bible study, ladies. There's one of the ladies that leads y'all and teaches. You think, oh, she's able to do that, but I have no ability to do that, or he's able to do that. That's not for me. And while we do have different giftings, we don't need to think of ourselves as different, so different that God couldn't use us. These are sinful, broken human beings, messy people. And God, because he is God, chooses to use them. I love that this story, by the way, just think about that. Luke wrote this down for us, but why did God instruct Luke to tell us this? Wouldn't it have been a little bit cleaner if he just kept Paul and Barnabas at hero status? They're awesome. Be like them. Be awesome. No. It's because he wants you to understand it's not about Paul and Barnabas. And Paul knew that very well. All throughout his letters, he testifies about how he wants to make himself less and that he's low. He doesn't want to try to elevate himself. He strives against that. But we too often can prop someone up, either someone in scriptures or maybe someone in our life and think, well, that's for them to do. It's not for me to do. Let us be reminded that we are messy people. We are broken people. But God is a sovereign God who can use each and every one of you in powerful ways. The other thing that is interesting to me is this idea that they had an argument over going to strengthen the churches and who would go with them. They were passionate about this. The ministry that they had been given was something that they were so zealous for and so passionate about that they argued about it. When's the last time you had an argument about who was going to share Jesus with your neighbor? No, 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 you're going to do it. No, 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 I got this. Y'all just sit down. I'm going over here in the workplace. Have you ever had just a, a skirmish over a spiritual condition? That's kind of a spiritual thing because sometimes our passions are all too, they're too small. I don't. I don't get passionate about things I don't really care about. Most of the time, my wife, where do you want to eat? And then I ask her where she wants to eat. And we kind of do that little song and dance. Y'all are all familiar with that. Because neither of us has great passion about where we are going to eat that night or what type of food. Now, if you were on our staff, you would know that on Tuesdays, we, we go to lunch together most of the time. It's a time for us to just encourage one another and bless one another. And if it's sunshining like it is out today... Just know that your city church staff is going to be on a patio somewhere because I'm passionate about a patio. (laughs) I like being outside. And so if I can be outside, I'm going to be outside. I'm not going to be indoors. And I'll be passionate. They they know. They'll come in. Okay, where where are we going to eat? Well, I've got a list of patios that are available. Uh, Y'all can choose from one of these patios. That's where we're going to eat. If it's raining, if it's messy outside, I, I, I really don't care quite as much what we're going to eat. Because I'm passionate about it. Things that we're passionate about, we're zealous for. We get excited about. We argue over. It's silly, but this is why we argue over sports. My team is better than your team. And there's passion that exists there. 
Just imagine, friends, if the passion that we had for all of the silly things in life that I joined you in having passion for, whether it's food or sports or relationships or those types of things, if we took that level of passion and we had that level of passion for the kingdom of God, that we're willing to throw bows with someone if we disagree with where they're going or what they're doing for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's some passion. Willing to argue over who's going to go to that church, who's going to strengthen that church, who's going to proclaim the gospel to those people. Can you imagine if our neighborhoods were filled with people that like we were rushing to see, hey, no, I'm getting to this street first. Y'all go over there. I got this street. This street's my street. I'm gonna share the gospel with this street. You go to the next street. In your workplace, as you milled around and kind of talk with people, you go to the water cooler, you're talking about the greatness of the Rangers and doing all that sort of stuff. You kind of got in an argument, not over that, but you got in an argument over your coworkers who are far from Jesus and how you're going to have a time and an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. In your schools, on your sports team, imagine if that zeal existed. That is what motivated Paul and Barnabas. What drove them was that they were zealous for one thing. They were fueled and anchored to the idea that they had a responsibility to proclaim the gospel and to take the gospel to the world. And that drove everything that they did. They did what they had to do in life. We know Paul had jobs. He did everything. And sometimes we have to do certain things. But underlying all of that is a zeal and a passion for the kingdom. As believers in Christ, we have been welcomed into this kingdom of God. If we really understood that, if we grasped the gravity of what that means, if we got the grace of Christ that has been poured out and showered over us, undeserving, messy, broken people, how could we not look to anyone who doesn't have that hope? who doesn't have the joy that we have in the face of hard circumstances and just be zealous to say, I've got to do all that I can to ensure that person, that loved one, that friend knows the hope of Christ and be passionate about it. Well, they were passionate so much that they split up And in the messiness of their split, we could begin to think, well, that just means sort of that story's over and we're not going to see much from Paul and Barnabas anymore because they got in a fight. God doesn't really bless the fighting people. He's just going to kind of, no, God takes these messy people and he uses them because God is a resourceful God. He, and his sovereignty, he uses each and every one of us and he knows all of the gifts that he's blessed us with. He knows how he's going to use us and the purposes that he has for himself. And he's going to take even this brokenness and he's going to say, I'm going to use it for good. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas have split up, and so they're now going to separate places. I have a map for you, by the way. I think I can show you this, where they split. All right, so they're there in Antioch. Paul goes up on the green line. Barnabas goes down on the orange line. And so now God's getting a little bit of a two-for-one here. Instead of them being together, all going to the same place, he's got two different groups of disciple makers and church encouragers and pastors going to two different places because God can take all of the mess and use it for good. That promise that Paul wrote to us that we so often, I hope, sort of anchor our lives to, he works all things for good, Romans 8, 28. He takes the evil and the brokenness of the world and he can use that in his hands. It can be used for good. I think of the story of Chuck Colson. Some of you might be familiar with Chuck Colson. I would guess that most of you might not be as familiar with Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was uh, a a relatively simple man. His own life story is one where he doesn't really have a lot going for him, but he ultimately came up through the ranks after serving in the military. He came to be the special counsel to President Nixon, basically President Nixon's right-hand man in a place of great power and authority. Ultimately, Colson was convicted of the crimes as part of the Watergate scandal. Um, 
young folks, just Google Watergate, and you'll kind of kind of get caught up on that whole deal. But it was a bad deal. It was a political scandal. You know, we have those. Those are nothing new under the sun. And so there's a political scandal. Chuck Colson is a big part of that scandal and rightfully convicted and sent to prison. While he's in prison, Jesus meets him and saves him and redeems his life. And as he's spending his time in prison and now with the lenses of Jesus kind of and his purposes for him, he starts to understand how God can use him and he begins to do work and he sees all the sort of the heartache and the brokenness of our prison system. He sees the challenges that come with that. And so he forms a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And to this day, Prison Fellowship is doing great work taking the gospel into prisons, into some of the hardest and darkest rooms in the world and sharing the love of Christ, the hope of Christ, doing amazing things. This is what Colson said of himself. The real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation, being sent to prison, was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one experience in which I could not glory for his glory. That's what our God does. He took Paul and Barnabas right after they threw down over where they were going and who was going with them. And he says, I'll use you still. And he sent them to these churches. And we sort of lose Barnabas to history. We don't know much about where he went and all that he did, but we know that he remained faithful. We get to continue walking with Paul and seeing all of the work that he did. God uses our mistakes and our failures. And I want to encourage you in this, friends. God doesn't waste your failures or your mistakes. There was clearly ungodliness and probably some sinfulness in Paul and Barnabas' heart. God continued to use them. Literally, the first churches ever planted, strengthened, and encouraged by these men. God was using them in powerful ways. The resourcefulness of God in knowing all that he intended to do. He sends Paul to Lystra. He picks up Timothy. By the way, Timothy was saved under Paul's preaching more than likely in his first missionary journey. And so in God's sovereign and providential hand, knowing that there was going to be challenges, knowing the mistakes that Paul and Barnabas might make, he says, okay, Paul and Barnabas, you're gonna split up and I'm gonna send Paul over here. He's gonna pick up Timothy along with Silas. And now I've got two groups of powerful men, young men teaching and proclaiming the word of God. All of that under God's perfect hand, nothing was out of place. There was not anything that shocked him. He was using the people that he had called to himself to bring much glory to himself, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. One quick side, just so you understand, I get this is a little bit confusing because of what I preached last week and what we read from the beginning of Acts chapter 15. We see that Timothy is circumcised. But here's one of the things that we need to know about that. Again, it was settled by the Jerusalem council that, the, that we are saved by grace alone and circumcision was no requirement for salvation. But notice what he says about this when he meets Timothy, why Paul wanted him circumcised. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. The reason that he wanted him to be circumcised was not because it had anything to do with his salvation or a requirement of the law. It was because he knew he was going to take Timothy into Jewish communities and circles and that that would be a stumbling block to Timothy's ministry if he was not circumcised. Sometimes when we think of all the things that we're able to do, we are able and, and with under the, the gospel, there's many things that we're free to do, but they're not always wise they sometimes could create a stumbling block. Or there are some things that we need to do, 
Not because, again, we have to, but because by doing those things, it will eliminate a stumbling block for someone to hear the gospel. All of it comes down to Paul did not want anything to hinder the work that he had been called to do. And as he brought Timothy along, he wanted to ensure that Timothy would be able to reach into these Jewish communities and proclaim the gospel and that they would receive him and welcome him. And so he does that, and they go out and they continue to proclaim and do the work of God. Again, as it says, strengthening the churches. So the churches were strengthened, this is at, uh, 16 verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. God is continuing to work. And all of this teaches us that we have a very purposeful God. As they were continuing to work, Paul now begins to want to go into Asia he wants to go west, he wants to go north, and I've gotta move quickly through this, but ultimately God says no and he closes doors. I'll show you this map. You'll, it'll be hard for you to read, it's a little bit small, but this is ultimately where Paul went, the orange line, but he wanted to go over here west. This Asia is not the Asia that we think of today. It's kinda of in the area where Ephesus is. He wanted to go west. He thought maybe I'll go north even further than that orange line where before it makes that turn, and God closes those doors. And ultimately, he closes those doors because he's going to direct him to go to Macedonia. He's going to have him sail across the sea to, to reach and take the gospel to Macedonia. Verse 7, it says, And when they came to Myasia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. God closed doors. He says, you're not going here, you're going here. In a sense, God funneled. He had all, Paul had all these desires. He had all his plans made up. And God funneled those desires. Hey, it's, you, you make your plans but I will direct your steps. And he was directing his steps to where he wanted him to go. As I thought about this and just study this text, it was just such a great reminder. And I'll tell you a very much an encouraging word to me personally this week. We've experienced this exact thing. Some of you have been around in our church family long enough to kind of know over the last year, we've talked a lot about church planting, about sending out from this body to start new churches and a commitment that we made. A, a little over a year ago, I stood here and I said to you, I believe that we're called to plant churches and we want to just put a kind of a stake in the ground to anchor ourselves as an elder team and as a church body to, to point towards this fall. Like right now, we had hoped and believed that God would sort of allow us to be celebrating the sending out and the multiplication of this church with the start of a new one. Well, you could tell by evidence that hasn't happened yet. And some of you and, and us, and there's, there's been frustration over that. We've kind of felt like we're going, we, uh, we're doing this, Lord, this is where we're going, and it just feels like we kind of hit walls. You know, oh, let's go over here, this, and, and there's, there's just questions that have arisen, heart challenges, our brother Pat is diagnosed with cancer, there's just many, many things that have taken place that it just feels like God has just been interrupting this calling. We feel called, and we know what we're called to do, but we just can't seem to make progress in that. Exactly what Paul and Barnabas, or Paul felt here, Paul and Silas felt, I would guess, in some ways. I want to go here, I want to go here. And then he gets this call, this vision from God, no, you need to take the gospel to Macedonia, and it becomes clear to him. And I would imagine in that moment, Paul would say, it all makes sense. This is why God didn't let us go here. This is why God didn't let us go here, because he's calling us here. And I'll just tell you right now, I don't have everything to share with you. It's not completely clear, but I can tell you our elder team has beginning to see that actually happen in our life. We're starting to see through some relationships and other things, God making it very clear while he, why he has sort of stifled us and frustrated us and not allowed us to take some of the steps that we thought we were going to take. He's been a little bit of putting us on hold, but we're now starting to see that. And I'm excited in the few, next few weeks and months, I think we are going to be able to see and share exactly what we see God doing. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be beautiful because it's God's plans. His purposes are always what we're after. 
Even when we feel frustrated, it feels like this didn't work out the way we thought it would, we can trust in God's perfect plans. You may feel frustrated with things that you've experienced. You may feel frustrated with, seems like, challenges that have come your way. Would you trust God and his purposes and his plans? The reality is this is a broken world. And we're going to face hard circumstances. We're going to face challenging circumstances. And when we face those, it's our reminder, it's, it's our ability to recall and stand firm in the calling of God in the mission that he's given us. His purposes above our own. Notice the last verse that I read this morning, all the way at the end of verse 10. Paul receives this vision to come over to Macedonia. And he says, immediately... This is Luke, by the way, speaking of him and Paul. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God has called us to preach the gospel. We are, each and every one of us, a messy, broken people. Don't ever let that messiness or the brokenness, the frustrations, of doing life together, don't let it ever get so deep in your mind that it changes or allows you to forget that we have been called by God, gifted with a message by God to take to the world. And we can do that. He uses even that messiness. He can use that for his glory. He doesn't waste it. He's resourceful. He sees each and every one of your gifts. And we are called to do different things, but we've each been gifted in some way. He has a purpose globally to see the church built up and strengthened and the gospel go out and the lost, those who are far from Jesus to be saved. All of that is what he's called us and we have been invited into that. That's what God's doing. I get excited thinking about that. And when I face the messiness and the hardships of life, I remember that calling. I remember that purpose. That's what I hold on to. I don't care what I see going on around me. I know that this is what we're called to do. And we stand firm in that. And I hope that you would be strengthened. We would be strengthened and encouraged to stand firm in that. The worship team is going to lead us in a song. It's a great song. The, the words that we will sing. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of messed up stuff. But God. But God is at work and moving. And we can rely on that. We can rely on that personally. If you don't know Jesus this morning, listen to the words of these songs perhaps. You don't have to even sing them. Don't fake it. Just listen as the rest of us who know this Jesus sing about our messiness and that it's only God. And for those of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, remember the mission that he's given us. And yeah, it's hard and there's challenging things, but God will do it. Lord Jesus, help us, we pray. To be faithful to the mission you've given us, to the purpose you've called us to, help us to trust you in all things. We pray these things in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.